Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, that's wait a second, that's not say. a TV show. It's but not it a, is. But it is. It, it is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. <laughs> Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams. Other than a Viewmaster, you download it and, and then you watch it 100% free. There's no charge. Yeah. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. You must learn to listen to the Rebel and the Rogue or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Trek I jumped the gun on that. I said, you jumped the gun. Trexperts too soon. I jumped the phaser. I don't know what I'm doing. I, uh, I should really, right. after two years, have the hang of this, you would think. But, but apparently... you know, it, it adds a, a lovely uh, uh, unknown quality to it. What's he going to do this week? You never know. You never know. It's true. I just, I'm still, I'm still amazed that we're still doing this two plus, two plus years on. It's we're on crazy. a five-year mission. We should stop <laughs> after five years. That's that I know for sure. You know. Well, I mean, it's not technically, the we could, technically we could stop after three years and then come back ten years later with a movie. I love it. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So listen, this is an exciting show uh, today. This is something you proposed. And I wonder if you can sort of explain, um, because the genesis of this was... Genesis? Uh, <laughs> what's that? Was uh, <laughs> the early, um, uh, you know, uh, it goes back to the, the fan film uh, world, which well, you were does. involved with, with James Cawley. And um, I think it was such a great idea that you had. And there's so many people that I have such an affinity for that helped uh, put this show on uh, that I wonder if you can just sort of Lay, down, lay the groundwork for us and tell us a little bit about what people are about to hear. Well, a few years ago, and I can't, honestly, I can't remember how many, maybe three, four years ago, something like that. Um, 
I had directed an episode of Star Trek New Voyages with James Cawley's group up in upstate New York. And uh, I had a, a, a good uh, rapport with all of them, and uh, they enjoyed me working with them. And uh, I What's was not going... to like it. Look, it's it's a it was a lovely group, and it was you know just sort of like uh, Star Trek summer camp. You went there and you played Star Trek for a couple weeks, and you made an episode. Um, yeah. So uh, along those lines, I, I wanted to do another episode, and so. Uh, I started talking with our buddy Jeff Bond, uh, who had started playing Dr. McCoy in a couple of their episodes. And I said, Jeff, how would you like to write a story, write a script that we can shoot? And he said, well, that'd be great. What'll we, what'll we do? Now, I had had an idea, because I'm friends with Kirk Thatcher, who, you know, played the Previous the, guest on our show. Previous guest on our show. And, uh, you know, he was the kid on the bus in Star Trek Four that uh, gave Spock and Kirk the finger. Um, but I thought, he would make a great Harry Mudd. Why don't we do a Mudd script? And uh, Jeff thought that was a fun idea, and we uh, bantered about some ideas together, and he came back with a really fun episode that we were going to do. We were planning on shooting up in uh, in Ticonderoga and then the bottom dropped out of fan films because of that uh, uh, producer that I'm not going to mention his name uh, and the project that got CBS to uh, sue them and to basically crack down on all fan films and initiate a uh, uh, a list of guidelines quote-unquote guidelines for producing fan projects and it limited the uh, amount of time to 15 minutes, and uh, you couldn't use, uh, you know, you couldn't use people who had worked on Star Trek before, and there was all sorts of limitations that would guarantee that you wouldn't be bothered by CBS. And, and that's a whole other show, probably. That's a whole other show that we about, need to talk about. Um, where this came from, why it happened, why they stopped doing these fan films, um, yeah. why CBS. T- that the action that, that that they did, but anyway, none it's of that a, matters. None of that matters right what, now. What happened was that I was there the week that the guidelines were released. So basically, we were we were all standing on the bridge, and we got the we got the word from CBS that basically we couldn't do this anymore, uh, or you know we would face uh, you know possible action from the studio. Right. So. It it uh, it basically put the kibosh on the whole thing, which was which basically was very sad for me because it was a great little script and it was a lot of fun and we would have done a great job on it and Kirk would have been great. Sure. So, cut to a couple months ago. Yeah, and and that's when I got the call from you and you said <laughs> to me, uh, you know, I, I was said, thinking, I got an you idea. know. I, I, I thought you might, and uh, realize, and you, you suggested, what if you did it as an audio drama for the podcast? And of course, you know, Kirk, we we love, even though he gave me the finger when he left. Uh, no, he didn't, um, and uh, he didn't. He was lovely, and um, of course, you know, we all. How, how can everyone loves Jeff Bond? I mean, it's funny because he was born to play McCoy. He's this irascible yeah. kind of uh, uh, a guy, but uh, just a lovely, lovely guy, and, and a great writer. Um, and a really talented writer, yeah, 
very talented writer. And uh, so when you said, hey, you know, it'd be great, you know, uh, this thing's been collecting dust. Why, yeah, why don't we do it do as a, a radio stage, drama? A stage reading. Stage basically. reading. And of course, we had had some success, uh, you know, in the in the past with these things. Um, I'm a big fan of stage readings. I had done one back uh, uh, for the 50th anniversary uh, at the mm-hmm. big Star Trek convention in New York. Um, and 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 uh, I love stage readings and I love radio dramas because, sure. you know, I grew up, obviously I'm not that old, but I would listen to, you know, on Monday nights, they would repeat the old radio shows like The Shadow and The Lone Ranger. And I'd listen sure. to it with my dad. And I love radio dramas. So And the CBS you know, now, Radio Mystery Theater. Yeah, exactly. E. Right, exactly. E.G. Yeah. E. Marshall. On president. W.O.R. in New York. Nailed before Zod. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was all great stuff. And so, um, uh, you know, when you suggested I thought it was a great idea. And you said, Let, let's rope in a bunch of our friends. Because, of course, we had been talking about doing this for the Academy years right. with um, – uh, with David Lowry, who wants to do it, but he's busy on another project and sure. he wants to be involved. So we sort of put that on hold and we want to rope in a bunch of uh, like big people for that. And That's of course, the be best it. way, the best way to do this is on an actual stage, you know, with microphones yes. there and actors acting together in the, in right. the same space. Yes. Um, unfortunately, we can't do that these days at this moment. Correct. So I figured, well, let's try it as a Zoom thing, see if that works. And uh, I got a, a bunch of our friends together who were able to, uh, uh, you know, open their schedules a bit and uh, and give us a couple hours to do this. Uh, I really wanted Mark to be there to uh, read the stage directions, but he. I wanted to be there too. Uh, you were you're very busy with your show, and I understand that. Um, but you also you you brought in a a great person to uh, take your place, and when we go to the recording, you'll hear who it is. Um, but we had a bunch of our friends that some of have been on the show, some haven't. Uh, but uh, they're all wonderful people, and they're fans, and they're professionals, and we love all of them. And uh, I have to say, they did a great job. Yeah, it was very frustrating because we had scheduled this for late on a Friday because I figured, okay, there's no way that I won't be available. I'll be able right. to do it. And, uh, of course, it was one of those days where, um, you know, the, it just it was impossible. We were mixing an episode and yeah. it went very late and it was a, a network call and all kinds of stuff. So, but I, I found somebody who I think did a better job than I, even I would have done. And what's <laughs> great, at least for me, is now I can listen to it as a as a fan as a, as a listener and sure. not, not having have it been you know been a part of it i can really just enjoy it which i i'm looking forward to because i am a big fan of jeff bond and obviously of darren's so it'll be super fun and you know i can never get enough of harry mudd um i, I remember <laughs> i still i very vividly remember uh going to a star trek convention in boston right before next generation was uh, uh going on the air in there and uh uh, David Gerald was talking about how they wanted to do a Harry Mudd episode where they're going to find um, Roger Carmel in suspended animation for Next Generation. Mm-hmm. But uh, Roger had died that day. And that's why he announced, he said, look, we were planning on doing a Harry Mudd episode, but there was no way we were going to recast it. And now that Roger's passed away, um, it's not going to happen. And uh, I, it was so sad because it would have been so great to see Harry Mudd again. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm thrilled that Roger and the character of Harry Mudd can live on again through Kirk. What a, you know, perfect, you know, choice for that role. And of course, they recast him on uh, Discovery. Um, 
but that's not us. So we have something a little different. Cool. That's right. I, I didn't even remember that. So, um, and I'm a big Rain Wilson fan. So, um, well, without any further ado, then, Darren, why don't enough you of, uh, pull enough up? Enough of our up, yakking. Let's boogie. Why don't you light the lights and pull up the curtain and uh, get the show going? Well, here we are, our stalwart band of uh, thespians um, for this uh, special edition. Uh, I'd like to uh, have uh, each of you introduce yourselves. Uh, I guess I can call out your names and have you uh, tell what you uh, what you do and uh, and what uh, role and or roles you're playing this evening. I'm going to start uh, with uh, Gabrielle Stanton. Hello, Gabrielle Stanton, television writer. I will be playing Lieutenant Palmer this evening and probably very poorly. So I apologize. No one does anything poorly here. You'll see. It'll be wonderful. Next, we have Jeff Bond, who is uh, not only uh, uh, an actor this evening, but he wrote this. Uh, Yes, I wrote this. I am a quote author, unquote, um, and I will be playing Dr. McCoy and Scotty, I believe. Uh, Anyone else? No. No. Unless you, unless you, you know, someone keels over and you just want to dive in. Next, the uh, the lovable Kirk Thatcher. Hi, Kirk Thatcher. I should be playing the role of Harry Mudd. Um, uh, writer, director, gadabout, weirdo, puppet wrangler, amongst other things. And yes, the punk on Star Trek IV. Yeah. The punk in Star Trek IV. Never leave that. Never live that down. <laughs> Next... Larry Herbst. Keep breaking character and smiling. I'm sorry. Uh, I am playing Spock. Uh, I'm a producer, filmmaker, editor, director, all that good stuff. You change roles as needed. And an old friend. <laughs> and getting older. <laughs> Next, the irascible Ashley Miller. Hi. Uh, I am a dessert topping and a floor wax. And I'll be playing uh, Romulan Commander Vitrus and Ensign Chekhov. Lovely. Next, Mr. Sulu. Uh, 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 Steve Melching. He changed his name on the thing. (laughs) Yes, I am Steve Melching. I am a writer-producer of animation. Uh, You may know me from such shows as X-Men the Animated Series, Batman the Brave and the Bold, and Star Wars the Clone Wars. And uh, I am also a co-host with uh, Darren Docterman and Ashley Miller and Mark A. Altman of the 430 Movie Podcast, our sister podcast. And I will be playing the role of Mr. Sulu. So you have a sister podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Sulu. Uh, Next, the lovely and talented Kay Rindell. Uh, Hello, I will be playing Stella Mudd who I really do believe should have her own show. I'm just throwing that out there. I also, because it sounds good, I am also a gadabout. Um, And uh, I am a a TV writer and a producer as well. Excellent, thank you. And last, but certainly not least, the lovely and talented David Rogers. Hi, Dave Rogers. I will be reading the screen directions 
and descriptions. Uh, I'm a director. I'm a director editor. Oh, hold on a second. I'm busy right now. I'll call you later. Okay. Bye. Uh, I'll be reading the screen directions and screen descriptions. Um, and uh, I work in comedies, but uh, what I really want to do is Star Trek. So this is a treat. Great places with you. Lovely. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on late notice. All right. Let's, uh, let's go. Let's see what's out there. Should we, tell Star Trek Trek. we decided the planet's pronunciation was Aquila? Aquila? Yes. That was what, how we pronounced it, right? I don't even know. You're the author. I wrote the thing. Aquila. <laughs> Aquila. Aquila. Right. Aquila. Okay. okay. So when the sun rises, it's just another Aquila sunrise. Oh, my goodness. Oh. All right. Everyone, set your communicators to silent. Yeah. If you yeah. can. If you can. Yes, old friend. All right. Well, let's count this thing down. Everyone ready? All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Action. Exterior space. The Enterprise cruises along the Romulan neutral zone. Captain's log, stardate 7844.6. Enterprise en route to the Aquila system on the border between Klingon and Romulan space. In a rare show of diplomacy, Romulan Governor Vitris of Aquila IV is handing over custody of Federation scientist Anton Farallon, briefly detained by the Romulan Empire on charges of espionage. The operation takes place amid unusually high tension between the Romulan and Klingon Empire, focused on this strategically important area of space. Interior Enterprise Bridge. Kirk sits in his command chair while his bridge crew, including Spock, Scott, Sulu, Chekhov, and Palmer, work at their stations. Kirk stares pensively at the bridge screen and its view of Romulan space ahead. Now entering Romulan space on heading for Aquila, Captain. Governor Vitris is en route in his ship to meet us, Captain. Rendezvous port will be just short of the system's central asteroid belt. Kirk shifts uncomfortably in his chair, glances at Spock. Being invited into Romulan space is almost as unsettling as being ordered into it. Kirk gets up from his chair, walks over the bridge rail to stand near Spock's station. Spock, this Dr. Farallone, who is he? His file is very slim. He is a somewhat mysterious figure, Captain. He introduced several advanced technologies on remote colonies starting a year ago, then disappeared. It is unclear what he was doing in Romulan space. Why would the Romulans want to release him? They don't take kindly to espionage, even suspected espionage. Indeed. Possibly the Romulans are seeking a diplomatic buffer against Klingon aggression. That doesn't sound like the Romulans. No, sir. But the Aquila system has been a source of contention between the two empires for generations. Only in the past decade has the Romulan claim held. The bridge proximity alert light pops on unexpectedly. Captain, sensors picking up two vessels entering the sector. Sir, I'm getting a distress signal from one of the ships, but 
It's standard civilian frequency. Confirmed, sir. It's a small scout ship. Pursuing vessel looks to be a destroyer. Klingon design. What's a civilian scout ship doing in Romulan space? Unknown design, Captain. But it is no match for a Klingon vessel, even a small destroyer class. We are. Sir, Governor Vitrus requests our assistance in the protection of this civilian ship. If it is a Federation vessel, it's our responsibility anyway. Sulu, plot intercept course. Go to Yellow Alert. Palmer, warn the Klingon vessel away from the scout ship. Aye, sir. Exterior space. The Enterprise pivots and warps off onto its interception course. Interior Enterprise bridge. Klingon still closing, sir. They're firing. The bridge view screen shows the flares of a distant hit of Klingon disruptors on shields. Close up on Kirk. Whoever's in that scout ship has just drawn us into an interstellar war. Act out. Fade in Act 1, exterior space. The unidentified scout ship flees with the Klingon destroyer in pursuit. Interior Enterprise Bridge. Captain's log supplemental. Our diplomatic mission into Romulan space has resulted in the Enterprise becoming embroiled in hostilities between the Klingons and the Romulans, apparently due to an unidentified Federation civilian. Kirk watches the two distant spaceships growing closer. Lock into the Klingon ship. When we exit warp, give them a warning shot. Aye, sir. Exterior space. The Enterprise flashes onto the screen as it drops out of warp drive and phasers flash briefly as it fires ahead toward the Klingon ship. Exterior space reverse angle. A small Klingon ship banks to avoid the blast, then veers off and warps away, leaving a small, seemingly crippled scout ship in its wake. Interior Enterprise bridge. Kirk watches the listing scout ship on the bridge view screen. Minor damage to the scout ship, Captain. Life signs indeterminate. Kirk gets out of his chair, still watching the view screen as he moves towards Spock's station. <laughs> Tractor it to our shuttle bay, Sulu. Palmer, how long to the rendezvous with the Romulan governor? Ten minutes once we route, sir. Sick bay, McCoy. Meet me at the main shuttle bay airlock. We're bringing aboard a small ship with possible injured crew. A rather porous border for such an important star system, wouldn't you say, Mr. Spock? It is surprising, Captain. I would be most interested to meet whoever commands the scout ship. It is unlisted in our civilian records. I need you on the bridge until we rendezvous with the governor. Until then, maintain yellow alert. Long-range sensors and scanners at maximum. The less time we spend in this system, the better. Kirk heads toward the elevator. Cut to interior shuttle bay, VFX. The unidentified ship is pulled in through the bay doors and settles onto the hangar deck. Cut to interior corridor. Kirk and two security guards arrive outside the hangar deck entrance where McCoy is waiting. Hangar deck pressurized, sir. Life form readings. What the hell is this? I thought we were picking up a prisoner from the Romulans. A fly in the ointment bones. The security guards take up position at the entrance. Phasers raised until Kirk nods his order to open the door. The airlock doors slide open to reveal a smiling Harry Mudd wearing a peculiar metallic vest. Kirk stares in a mixture of disbelief and anger at Mudd. Ah, James T. Kirk. And his beautiful enterprise. I, I've never been so glad to see the old girl, Jamie. <laughs> Harry Mudd. Mudd smiles as he looks around the corridor. 
is eerily, he is eerily calm for a man who just barely escaped destruction. I've been wondering just who would be stupid enough to blunder into the middle of a system claimed by both the Romulans and the Klingons. Your name should have been on the top of my list. Oh, I'm, I'm wounded to the quick, Kirk. I, I'm spiritually speaking, of course. I left you, deliberately left you on a planet surrounded by 500... Yes, yes, 500 stellar muds. I'm, I'm afraid you have no one to blame for yourself. But yourself for that, Kirk, old boy. I, one android duplicate of my estranged wife had sentimental value for me, but 500... Those androids were supposed to keep you confined on that planet. Well, you see, the Stella series was shrill, dominant, and relentless. Eventually, they began to disrupt the entire android society, and I was able to... Escape incarceration. They make the most of a unfortunate situation. <laughs> McCoy raises his medical scanner toward Mud's chest and gestures toward the strange metal vest. This. Uh, nothing you need to concern yourself with. <laughs> Harcourt Fenton Mund, I now place you under arrest for violation of Federation territorial treaties and about a dozen other things I can think of. Rest on your illustrious vessel <laughs> or disintegration by Klingon warships? You should work on your threats, Kirk, old boy. <laughs> How did you make it this far into Romulan space and why did a Klingon ship risk chasing you this deep into the system? I was merely exercising the right of free trade, Jamie. It's what I've always done. <laughs> you know, Harry, you might have been harmless at one time, but this is no laughing matter. You've interfered with Federation diplomacy. The group has been slowly walking down the Enterprise corridor during the conversation. Now Mud stops. You're absolutely right about that, Captain. And I, I must apologize, dear boy. But, and, and for what I must do now. Kirk stares at Mud, frowning. Mud reaches up to a control on his vest, touches a button, and disappears. Kirk and McCoy stare in shock before Kirk quickly reacts. He moves immediately to a wall intercom and activates it. Bridge, security alert. Exterior space. The Enterprise heads back into the Aquila system. Captain's log. Supplemental. En route to our rendezvous with Governor Vitris, we have taken aboard the criminal Harry Mud, and he has somehow disappeared before we could incarcerate him. Where he is now, on or off the Enterprise, is unknown. Interior Enterprise Bridge. Kirk and McCoy enter the bridge. Report on search. There is no sign of Mr. Mudd on board the Enterprise, Captain. Was I imagining things, or did Harry Mudd just disappear? That's how I describe it. Some sort of site-to-site transporter technology? Any activity in the scout ship's transporter? Negative, Captain. No readings of that type indicated on the Enterprise or the scout vessel. Governor Vitrus's ship has separated from its two escorts, Captain. Continuing toward us on course for the rendezvous, the two escorts are stopped in space, distance two million kilometers. Kirk frowns, digesting this information. On its heels, Scotty suddenly sighs in frustration. Captain, I'm seeing some power fluctuations I don't like. Energy balance between certain systems is shifting wildly. It could affect our shields if we don't track it down. What's the cause? I'd tell you if I knew, sir. It wasn't that tussle with the Klingons. The Enterprise can handle something like that a hundred times without a hiccup. Spock approaches Kirk. Something else, Captain. Kirk's eyebrows raise. 
Don't tell me you have bad news, too. Spock, scared, Spock stares at Kirk impassively. Never mind. Do tell me, Spock. What is your report? Captain, I've gone back over our sensor records. Our instruments should have been able to register the Klingons much sooner than they did. Was it cloaked? Since our capture of the Romulan cloaking device a year ago, Starfleet countermeasures against cloaking abilities have improved considerably. Mud's ship may have been small enough to have escaped long-range detection, but not a larger vessel like the Klingon destroyer. Are you saying the Klingons have developed a more advanced cloaking device? That would be a logical assumption. Such capabilities would make incursions into the system quite difficult to detect. Kirk turns to stare back at the view screen of the approaching Romulan ship. I can't say I like this scenario, Spock. It does have certain negative implications. Kirk looks at Spock. I thought I said that. Governor Vitrus's ship approaching, Captain. Just a few seconds from their rendezvous point. On the view screen, we see a Romulan warship filling the frame. This should not be a Klingon ship as seen in the Enterprise incident, but a design that is clearly Romulan and probably more advanced than the original Romulan bird of prey from Balance of Terror. They're hailing us, Captain. On screen, Lieutenant. Kirk stands in front of his chair as a view of the Romulan ship bridge, a simple redress of McCoy's lab set, comes onto the bridge view screen. Romulan Governor Vitris stands in the center of the screen. Greetings, Captain Kirk. The Romulan High Council is pleased to receive the fabled enterprise within its borders. Kirk shifts a bit uncomfortably. Thank you, Governor Vitrus. I appreciate not being surrounded. Vitrus smiles a charmless Romulan smile. I believe we are both eager to avoid repeating previous mistakes, Captain. I thank you for intercepting the scout vessel. It is carrying a piece of stolen Romulan technology that we should like returned. The scout ship was being pursued by a Klingon vessel, sir. Yes, Captain. Klingon incursions into our system have become quite brazen, but rest assured the device in question is Romulan. For our agreement, I'll be beaming on board your vessel shortly to release our prisoner into your custody. We request that the device be handed over to us at that time. Governor Vitrus, if you'll excuse me, I'm unaware of any device in question. And in any case, delivering technology to you and your ship is not part of the original agreement regarding Dr. Farallone. You will find the device on board the scout. Captain, as you've observed, this system's security is under threat. I suggest we complete our transaction as quickly as possible. Kirk swallows as he tries to get his bearings. We will provide your people with coordinates to our transporter room. I look forward to meeting you. Kirk wonders if he feels the same. Ten minutes, sir. Kirk out. Kirk looks at Spock. Captain, security has already searched Mr. Mudd's vessel and found nothing unusual. Maybe Mudd took the device they're looking for with him, wherever he is. Best thing he was wearing? He touched a control on it before he disappeared, and he didn't want you to scan it. Could it be some kind of personal cloak? If so, it is cloaking technology that would obscure the normal heat signatures, vibration, and other readings used to detect life forms. Kirk looks back at the bridge view screen. Could Mud be purposefully 
disrupting this mission? It would be highly unlikely that Mr. Mudd would be privy to classified communications between the Federation and the Romulans. And do we dare risk bringing Vitris aboard while Mudd is still loose? Governor Vitris seems most eager to complete our transaction. He's right about one thing. The sooner we're outside Romulan space, the better. Spot continues the search for Mudd. You and Chekhov keep monitoring the system. We may need an escape route if the situation demands it. Understood, Captain. Kirk and McCoy leave the bridge. Cut to exterior space. The Enterprise and the Romulan ship float a few hundred meters from each other. Interior transporter room. Kirk enters to see Zahn at the transporter controls, along with another couple of security guards. Governor Vitris is standing by, sir. Very well, Ensign. Have the bridge lower our shields. Zahn registers the gravity of this, then nods. Aye, sir. Bridge acknowledges shields down. I'm receiving their transporter signal. Kirk stares at the transporter pad as the Romulan transporter effect, a hazy green glow appears, flares brightly and then leaves two figures. We see Kirk's face react to the sight of Romulan Governor Vitris and his prisoner, Harry Mudd. Act out. Act two, interior transporter room. Kirk stares at Vitris and Mudd. Captain's log, supplemental. It appears that the Romulan prisoner is not exactly who we expected. This is your prisoner, Governor Vitris. This is Harcourt Fenton Mudd. Now, Captain. <laughs> Shut up, Harry. He's no scientist. In fact, he's a criminal, a con man, and a liar. Vitris steps off the transporter pad to face Kirk. Vitris is tense. Whether out of instant loathing for Kirk or something else, we're not, sure. we're not yet sure. He has been useful to the Empire, but as for his identity... Yes, we suspected as much. We are accustomed to Federation deceit. Kirk's angry head of steam seems suddenly stopped as this comment hits him. What exactly does that mean? I was initially reluctant to take this assignment. My government is eager to prevent a war with the Klingons and now unwilling to provoke another conflict with the Federation. I do not so easily negotiate with spies and saboteurs. Spies, we are here on diplomatic orders, Governor. Now, perhaps, your past acts of espionage and theft of military secrets are all well known to the Romulan High Command. Kirk bristles, working to keep his temper under control. I am not at liberty to comment on prior Starfleet operations, particularly not to a Romulan official. But if you're speaking about your cloaking device, you're aware that it is a dangerous and destabilizing technology that has been used by the Romulans for years to infiltrate and raid outposts in Federation space. Which justifies your theft. The Federation has spied on us, pressed our borders, and yes, infiltrated our territories for years, just as you did with this man. Whatever actions Harry Mudd may have taken have nothing to do with the Federation or Starfleet. He's a criminal. That is a distinction without a difference, Captain. Governor, if you think I'm going to stand here and- Stock enters the transporter room at the beginning of Kirk's line above and interrupts the captain. Captain, if you'll pardon the intrusion. Kirk glares at Spock in annoyance before managing to get his temper under control. Yes, Mr. Spock, what is it? Spock glances at Vitrus and Mud. If we could speak privately, Captain. 
Crook spares his guests an impatient glance, then nods for security guards to watch as he and Spock step out into the corridor. Interior corridor. Spock, what is it? Captain, our subspace communication transmitter has become inoperative. We are incapable of contacting Starfleet or any other vessels, not in direct local line of sight. Well, that's certainly inconvenient, but if we can effect repairs in the next hour or so... That is not all, Captain. Mr. Scott has, yet, has not yet found an explanation for the power fluctuations affecting the ship's systems. I suspect the Enterprise is being sabotaged. Kirk glances back at the transporter room. You think Mug's behind this? I will admit that I began to doubt my hypothesis when I saw Mr. Mudd in the transporter room. I want some answers to this, and I think I know where to look first. Raise our security level, but discreetly. I don't want to alert our guests. Spock nods and departs as Kirk re-enters the transporter room. Interior transporter room. Governor Vitrus, may I understand that you are now releasing your prisoner to our custody? He is now yours but I will not leave this ship until the technology he stole is returned. Kirk looks at Mudd. With Mr. Mudd's cooperation, I look into honoring your request. These men will escort you to the briefing room. Harry, come with me. Cut to interior corridor. Kirk and Mudd begin to walk together down the corridor. All right, you got about five seconds to explain to me what you were doing in Romulan space and what the devil's happening to my ship. Jamie, old boy. Stop calling me that. I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about. For one thing, we just intercepted you and your ship an hour ago, and I watched you disappear outside our shuttle bay. Uh, that, that doesn't ring any bells. Kirk stops walking. He looks very close to strangling mud. I'm not laughing, Harry. Look, Kirk, I have no desire to make light of a situation that you, you seem to take all too seriously, Kirk, but... but I... You're either a lot faster than you look, or there's more than one Harry Mudd on this ship. You stole something from the Romulans, and I want to know what, some kind of personal cloaking device or transporter technology? Captain, I was simply trading a bit too close to the Romulan border. Are you going to take the Romulans' word against mine? Any day of the week. <laughs> we can continue this conversation in the brig after we're out of the system. And I will personally work to get you the closest equivalent to Romulan justice the Federation can provide. Close up on Mod, but close up on Mud's reaction as we cut to exterior space. Repeat shot of the Enterprise and the Romulan ship. Interior Enterprise Bridge. Spock sits in the command chair while Chekhov works at the science station. Report on subspace communications, Lieutenant. Transmitter still inoperative, sir. Mr. Spock, long-range sensors showing activity around Aquila. Heat and impact signatures. Also, vessel launches from the planet. Spock leaves the command chair to join Chekhov at the science station, and Chekhov moves aside to let him at the viewer. If I didn't know better, I'd almost say it looked like a planetary evacuation, sir. Interesting. Your assessment appears valid, Ensign. Bridge to Captain Kirk. Cut to interior briefing room. Vitra stands at one end of the briefing room with a small Romulan communicator in his hand. His face registers shock and deep concern as Kirk enters. We don't realize it yet, but Vitrus has just received the news that his home planet is being evacuated. His tension and anger in this scene is a result of this. Captain, I presume you have located our stolen device. Uh, no, sir. Mr. Mudd has proven less than cooperative. 
no doubt. You had him in custody for several weeks. Romulan interrogation methods are known as being quite brutal. How is it you weren't able to get your own answers from him? Are you endorsing Romulan interrogation methods, Captain? I'm curious as to why you handed your prisoner over to us without guaranteeing you'd have what he stole from you. Captain, your argumentative nature is becoming tiresome. Our sensor readings show that Aquila may be under attack, and the planetary governor is out here engaging in diplomacy with a Federation starship. Ditcher stares at Kirk. Your ship's instruments must have registered in the same readings as ours. I'd have thought you'd want to be with your people at a time like this. Duty requires my presence here. Duty? Or convenience? Are you accusing me of cowardice, Captain? Kirk stares at Vitrus evenly. Do you have another word for it? Vitrus backhands Kirk and sends him spinning and buckled over. The two security guards behind Vitrus pin his arms behind his back as Kirk rises to face Vitrus nose to nose. I should have known better than to get involved in Romulan diplomacy. I will wait no longer to reclaim what is ours, Captain Kirk. You're in no position to issue threats, Governor. We're quite capable of defending ourselves. Are you, Captain? Cut to interior enterprise engineering. Scott and two technicians are at work around the engineering room's central power modules. I'm telling you, there's no way to account for these fluctuations other than tampering or neglect. It was set correctly not an hour ago, Mr. Scott, and no one's been near the module in that time. Uh, We're just lucky that communications are the only thing affected so far. Get me a synchronic meter and we'll just recalibrate the whole thing right now. Behind Scott, the figure of Harry Mudd shimmers into view, wearing the metallic vest. Mudd holds a weapon in his hand. Greetings, gentlemen. His weapon flashes and Scott and the techs crumple to the floor. Cut to interior enterprise bridge. Spock, Chekhov, Palmer, and Sulu continue to monitor the situation inside the Aquila system. Mr. Spock, power readings on the Romulan vessel shifting, sir. Explain, Lieutenant. She may be shunting power to weapon systems, sir. Raise shields, Mr. Sulu. Sulu hits the appropriate buttons on his console, then hesitates. Sir, shields an operative. Spock to engineering. Cut to interior, enterprise engineering. Mud is kneeling and tinkering with the power module, while Scott and the techs lay unconscious next to him. Finished with his work, Mud stands, touches a control on his vest, and vanishes. Spock to engineering. Mr. Scott, check our shield power distribution. Cut to interior enterprise bridge. Spock continues to try to reach Scott. Mr. Scott. Spock rises from his chair and heads toward the turbo lift. Mr. Sulu, take command. Take every effort to raise our shields and prepare (laughs) prepare evasive maneuvers if, if necessary. I'll be in engineering. Cut to interior briefing room. Kirk faces the pinned vitreous as the intercom beeps. Spock to Captain Kirk. Kirk hits the intercom, eyeing Vitrus warily. I'm on my way to engineering, Captain. We've lost contact with the crew down there, and our shields are now inoperable. What about phasers? Sulu cutting in, sir. Looks like all weapon systems are currently offline. Kirk stares at Vitrus. Understood. Keep me informed. You will not leave this system with the device. Either you will deliver it to me, or I will destroy your ship and the device along with it. And yourself? For the glory of the Empire. 
Kirk nods to the security guards. Gentlemen, please take the governor's communicator. The guards search Vitrus, but the governor only shakes his head slowly. Ineffective, Captain. The order has already been given. Push in on Kirk. I shall enjoy watching you and your ship die. Fade out. End of Act 2. Act 3. Exterior space. The helpless Enterprise faces the Romulan ship. Captain's log, supplemental. Thanks to Harry Mudd, we are helpless in the face of Romulan Governor Vitris, who seems determined to retrieve a stolen Romulan device, even if it means destroying himself along with the Enterprise. Interior Enterprise Bridge. Sulu stares tensely from the command chair at the view screen as Chekhov struggles to bring the ship's weapons online. Power surge building on the Romulan ship, Mr. Sulu! Oh my. I had a feeling I was going to regret sitting in this chair. Maintain position. Give him minimum profile. Chekhov suddenly frowns. Mr. Sulu! Exterior space. Alongside the governor's ship, a Klingon warship suddenly decloaks. The Klingon ship fires on the Romulan vessel, and the Romulan begins to list. It quickly returns fire. Now both ships maintain a furious volley at one another. Cut to Interior Enterprise Bridge. Sulu and Chekhov shield their eyes as both vessels explode in a storm of light and debris. The bridge shakes and tilts as the explosion strikes the Enterprise. Interior Briefing Room. Kirk, Vitris, and the security guards struggle to get to their feet after being thrown to the floor. Kirk makes it to the intercom. Bridge, report. Interior Enterprise Bridge. Sulu grips the helm console as the Enterprise rights itself. Captain, a Klingon warship just, I don't know, popped out of space next to the governor's ship and opened fire. Just a moment, sir. Back to the briefing room. Kirk waits for the report as the stunned Vitris rises, the security guard still restraining him. Sir, both ships destroyed. Kirk looks at Vitris. Damage report. Our weapons were offline even before the attack. We didn't take any direct hits, but our shields were down. My ship! This is your doing. Your ship was destroyed by a Klingon vessel, sir. This has nothing to do with us and everything to do with a power struggle between your government and the Klingons. No, Captain. Your theft of our cloaking device forced us to improve the original device's weaknesses. The Klingons saw this as a threat, since we had adopted some of their technology and warships. So they created countermeasures to our cloaking technology. Soon they began raiding our outposts in order to regain a tactical advantage, and our military accords were voided. We are now in a state of war, all due to your acts. Vitrus turns to the wall as if he might stare through it. My crew... There's no chance now. No chance for what? Stolen device was our last hope to stop the Klingon invasion. Guards, take him to the brig and search him thoroughly for any communications or other devices. I'm sorry, Governor. Until I can be assured of the safety of my ship and crew, you'll have to be confined. Cut to the interior corridor outside brig. A guard shakes himself off outside the brig as we see Mud himself getting up while eyeing the guard intently. Uh, lad, would you come in here? I, I think I may have been injured. <clears throat> Look all right to me. Uh, would you please just, just have a look? The guard hesitates and shuts off the security field. He starts to walk in and is suddenly jostled by something invisible. He turns behind him to see a second Mud appear, cloak and vest on and weapon drawn. 
The second mud stuns the security guard. Inside, the imprisoned mud smiles and gestures for the other mud to join him. <laughs> Come along, lad. <laughs> we cut to the interior of the Enterprise engineering section. Scott and the technicians rise groggily to their feet as Spock and a security team enters. As Spock helps Scott up, Kirk enters. What happened? Ugh, hairy mud happened, sir. Kirk looks at Spock. Mud's in the brig. At least one of them is. Apparently the lesson of 500 Stella Muds was not lost on Harry Mud, Captain. An android duplicate. The question is, just how many Muds are there? The attack by the Klingon vessel is more troubling, Captain. It is the second Klingon vessel to fail to register on our sensors, and it would appear that an attack on the planet Aquila is underway. We've got to get out of here before Mud sabotages every system on the ship. His actions are illogical, Captain. Given Mr. Mudd's situation, he should be as eager to escape Romulan space as we are. But maybe not so eager to have us escape with him. Interior Enterprise Corridor. A couple of security guards march past, phasers drawn, on the lookout for Mudd. As they round the corner and disappear from view, Mudd suddenly shimmers into view. He's wearing the cloaking vest, but now is sweating and unsteady, bracing himself against the wall. Mud slowly sinks to his knees. We cut back to the Enterprise engineering. Kirk, Spock, and Scott kneel around the power module. Well, I hate to compliment that Weasley pirate, but he did a thorough job. Warp drive and weapons are out for the next few hours, at least. What about our long-range sensors? I'd like to at least know what's coming for us. Aye, they're operating, but if what Mr. Spock is saying about the Klingon cloaking tech is right, I don't know what good they'll do. Kirk nods grimly continues to brood as he and Spock move off to the side to allow Scott and his crew to work. You seem preoccupied, Captain. He was right. Captain? Governor Vitrus, we're to blame for all this. We stole technology from the Romulans without considering the consequences. Captain, the alternative was inaction. Further encroachment of Federation territories by the Romulans would no doubt have been the result. If there's a full-on invasion of this system, millions of lives will be lost. By our reasoning, enemy lives, but lives nonetheless. Families, children. I researched Governor Vitrus prior to our rendezvous. His family resides on Aquila. That would explain his desperation. Dick Bay to Captain Kirk. Kirk heads over to the wall intercom. Kirk here. Captain, security found Harry Mudd unconscious in the lower decks. I've got him in sickbay now with that best thing on him, and I can't remove it. Unconscious? How? I don't know, but I've got a strong suspicion it's the vest. I think it's killing him, Jim. I'll be right there. Kirk hits the intercom again. Kirk to Brig. Security here, Captain. Is Harry Mudd still confined? Washburn here, sir. Mud's guard was knocked out during the attack. He's actually still unconscious. Medic's working on him now. But Mr. Mud's still in his cell. Maintain watch on Mud and Governor Vitrus. Cut to the interior of sick bay as McCoy examines a shaky, still sweating Harry Mud. He's cloaked himself. McCoy, please, you've got to get this off of me. Harry, you know more about the damn thing than I do. It won't come off! Spock and Kirk enter. If you can get out of my brig, you ought to be able to get out of that outfit, Harry. <clears throat> Kirk, 
Please listen to me. We're, we're running out of time. Is this the real mud or an android? Well, if it's an android, they've managed to duplicate human physiological structures and processes almost identically. I'd probably need an autopsy to tell for sure. Autopsy? <laughs> That's the real Harry. Would an android look this ill? Clock has been using his tricorder to examine the vest. Captain, this apparatus appears to be much more than a personal cloaking device. In fact, I would say that its ability to cloak an individual is incidental to its central purpose. Which is what? It appears to be tied into a vast network of cloaking systems. In theory, it would be capable of adjusting and updating individual cloaking devices or relatively large subsets of cloaking devices from a remote location using a subspace transmitter. There's a subspace transmitter in that thing? Negative. It is designed to be attached to a more powerful transmitter, probably one on board a spacecraft. In creating the personal cloaking effect, the device focuses mass waves within the space inside the vest, literally inside its wearer, which would account for the fact that it has sickened Mr. Mudd. It's likely his personal cloaking capabilities were designed with android wearers in mind. Captain, this may be important information for the bridge crew. Kirk nods and Spock moves to the intercom. Spock to bridge. As Spock speaks, Kirk moves back to Mud, who continues to breathe raggedly on the sickbay bed. All right, Harry. I want an explanation, and I want it now. When I was pursuing business opportunities along the Romulan border, I saw what was going on between the Romulans and Klingons. The Romulans were desperate for better cloaking technology, and I... <clears throat> seen some of the androids experimenting with that back on the planet. So I, I had my androids build this for me. You've been arming the Romulans with improved cloaking technology? Well, to be completely honest, Captain, in the interest of fairness, I... You've been arming both sides. <laughs> You're responsible for this entire arms race. <laughs> any, any good businessman will tell you not to ignore half of your potential customers. I mean, I mean, once the Klingons saw the Romulans had improved cloaking capabilities, well, they, they naturally <laughs> were in the market for upgrades of their own. So you blundered into Klingon and Romulan territory and sold them your proprietary brand. More likely his android representatives did so, Captain. Well, you don't think I'd be stupid enough to bargain face-to-face -face with the Romulans or the Klingons, do you? <laughs> to Captain Kirk. Kirk here. Captain, the mass spectrometer readings Mr. Spock ordered, picking up hundreds of readings around Aquila, sir. And now I'm reading an almost equal number of mass distortions moving from within Romulan space. The Klingons have evidently chosen this moment to retake the entire Aquila system. And the Romulan fleet's arriving to defend it. Listen, listen to me, Kirk. Right now, you're, you're defenseless. The androids have your shields and weapons shut down, but you can hook my device into your shield grid and, and cloak the ship while we, we get out of here alive before this whole solar system's torn apart. It is possible, Captain. The device was no doubt designed with the ability to cloak Mr. Mudd's ship. With our ship's power channeled through it... Kirk is lost in thought and tense. Spock, you think this thing can affect the cloaking fields on the rest of the ships in this system? Undoubtedly, Captain. What happens if we destroy the device? 
The device can adjust, but does not maintain the individual ship cloaks. Its destruction would probably allow the ships to maintain their current cloaking abilities. Can you scramble the other ship's cloaking field somehow? The device appears to allow only for upgrades. However, it may be possible to program an upgrade that is beyond the operational abilities of both fleets cloaking generators. Which would do what? I suspect it would render their cloaking devices inoperative. Theoretically, of course. Can you do it? It will require connecting the device to a subspace transmitter. And our subspace transmitter is down. But the transmitter in Mr. Mudd's ship is operational. Have Mr. Scott meet you in the shuttle bay and help you get this thing off Mud and installed back into his ship. I want those, uh, I want those cloak ships on cloak, damn it. Now, wait a minute. You're talking about decloaking every enemy ship in this system while leaving us a sitting duck? What kind of a plan is that? If these two fleets engage each other, if the Klingons successfully invade Aquila, we'll have a massacre on our hands. And if the two fleets are decloaked, then what? They fight each other out in the open. I'm betting they will be smarter than that. Get Mott on his feet. He's to assist Mr. Spock in the shuttle bay. Shall I assist him? Be glad it's not homicide that uh, we're bringing on you, Harry. Spock, how long do you need? I suspect if the operation cannot be done in 10 minutes, it cannot be done at all. You got that 10 minutes. If it works, I'll want Mud's ship ejected from the shuttle bay. Understood, Captain. Kirk turns back to Mud. All right, Harry. About that other you. Cut to the interior of the Enterprise brig. Vitrus broods silently as guards stand outside. Kirk appears outside the entryway and deactivates the brig shield as Vitrus reacts. You'll be pleased to know I've found the device you're looking for. Vitrus reacts. Rather too late. By now, my world should be cut off from all possible assistance, even with the tactical advantage the cloaking enhancer would provide. It's possible we can eliminate the tactical advantage for both sides using this device. So our war can be fought in the open. Your bloodlust surprises even me, Captain. You prefer to see our fleets slaughter one another. That's not my intention, I assure you. Join me on the bridge. On the Enterprise bridge, Kirk and Vitrus, still accompanied by two security guards, enter from the turbo lift. Sulu rises from the command chair as Kirk enters. Report, Mr. Sulu. Sulu glances uncertainly at Vitrus. Everyone seems tense at the presence of the Romulan governor on the bridge. Proceed, Mr. Sulu. Long-range sensors picking up explosions on the Aquilan capital city, Captain. Romulan evacuation vessels appear to be coming under fire. Am I here to watch my planet being destroyed, Captain? Your enjoyment of this spectacle will be short-lived. Governor, I wish no harm to you or Aquila. Please believe me. Spock, status. The device is hooked into the scout ship's systems, Captain. There's a sudden rumble and the bridge shakes. Sula reports from his tactical viewer. The Klingons are spreading disruptor mines, sir. Romulan mass signatures closing. Too indeterminate for targeting, though. McCoy enters, stares at the disturbing tactical display on the main view screen. 
Hugs in the shuttle bay with Spock, Jim, seems to be recovering. Kirk to engineering. Scott here, sir. Weapons and defense systems. Shields still inoperable, sir. What about phasers? Minimal, Captain. One bank partially recharged, enough for a short-range burst. Nothing that would get through Romulan or Klingon shields. Understood. Device operational, Captain. Captain, Romulan mass signatures closing. We will be in the range of their weapon systems in seconds, sir. Even cloaked, they should be able to register us on their sensors easily. The view screen shows two swarms of indistinct targets converging on the Enterprise. One phaser shot against that? Mitras turns from the screen to look at Kirk. So you will pay for your interference in Romulan affairs, Captain? No. Pull in on Kirk as we fade out. Act out. Act four, interior Enterprise bridge. The bridge crew and its guests stare at the terrifying image of the converging Romulan and Klingon fleets on the view screen tactical display. Romulan and Klingon ships within weapon range in 10 seconds, sir. McCoy glares at the view screen, sweating bullets. Jump! Lieutenant Palmer, prepare to broadcast on local transmitter, widest possible signal. Aye, sir. Kirk watches as the two groups of targets seem about to collide. Spock, initiate. Initiating sequence now, Captain. The bridge rumbles again as more mines detonate. On the main view screen, a tactical display shows swarms of incoming targets converging on the Enterprise and Aquila. Sir, Klingon ships decloaking ahead of us. Note, we can and no doubt will do this sequence the old-fashioned way by showing just a few, maybe as few as three vessels decloaking. The rest can be suggested by the bridge tactical graphic and Chekhov's report from Spock Science Station. Exterior space, in front of the Enterprise, one, then two Klingon warships pop out of invisibility, like bubbles bursting. Space reverse angle, behind the Enterprise, one or two Romulan vessels pop out of invisibility. Interior Enterprise bridge, on the bridge view screen, we see the fuzzy Klingon and Romulan mass reading targets sharpen individually, changing from indistinct blobs to obvious ship targets as the effect spreads through each fleet. Kirk stands up out of his chair, then hits the chair intercom. Spock, it worked. Get out of there. Affirmative, Captain. What trickery is this? You're still vulnerable, Captain. If you think you can escape... I have no intention of escaping, Governor. Lieutenant Palmer, open the hailing frequencies. Captain, crossfire between the two fleets reducing, almost down to zero. Report on the planet. Bombardment has stopped, sir. Sir, shuttle bay doors opening. Mud ship is escaping. Mud got away from Spock? Mr. Sulu, target the scout ship. All possible power to phasers. Romulan and Klingon fleet slowing. It's a standoff, Captain. They're exposed. No way to hide from each other anymore. Captain, hailing frequencies open. Attention, Romulan and Klingon fleets. This is Captain James Kirk of the Federation Starship Enterprise. You have been duped into installing defective cloaking technology aboard your vessels. We discovered this ruse and the machine used to affect your ships. Sir, incoming transmission. It's from Mud, sir. On screen, Lieutenant. The tactical graphic fades, replaced by the glowering face of Harry Mud. Enjoy the war, Kirk. I'll be saying my goodbyes. Cloaking device engaging on his ship, sir. Mr. Sulu, fire phasers. Destroy that ship. Sir? Those are my orders, Mr. Sulu. Fire! 
Sulu recovers quickly. Exterior space, Mudship hurtles away from the Enterprise until a phaser beam stabs out and vaporizes the vessel. Interior bridge. Target destroyed, sir. Kirk absorbs the news impassively before continuing to speak into the intercom. As you see, the perpetrator of this act has been destroyed. Both your fleets are now fully exposed to enemy fire and targeting. To engage one another now would mean tremendous loss of life and resources, and with no certain outcome, except perhaps a long-term advantage for the Federation while your two militaries recover. Spock arrives on the bridge. Bittress stares at both Kirk and Spock, struggling to process what is happening. So you achieve yet another act of sabotage. This one, even greater. No sabotage, sir. But without the element of surprise, I doubt the Klingons will be eager to face down the entire Romulan fleet. Spock takes his place at his science station as Chekhov relinquishes it. He stares into his viewer. As I said before, I'm not at liberty to discuss prior Starfleet operations, but I wish no harm to you and your family. I'm hopeful that our actions today will prevent further attacks on Aquila. Nature stares at Kirk in shock. Captain, long-range sensors show the Klingon forces around Aquila are beginning to retreat. You could have escaped. Let us destroy each other. There's already been enough bloodshed, Governor. If we've learned anything from this, it's that there is no winner in an arms race. Captain, Romulan transmission incoming. They demand to know the condition of Governor Vitrus. Kirk turns back to Vitrus. If you wish to address that, sir. Vitrus stares at Kirk, then back at the view screen tactical display of the two fleets. Then he steps toward the communication station. I will speak to the high command. Exterior space. The Enterprise pulls along the Lexington as the shuttlecraft moves between both ships. Captain's log, stardate 7848.6. After delivering Governor Vitrus to his escort ships, the Enterprise has left Romulan space and is rendezvousing with the USS Potemkin. Interior corridor, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy arrive outside the shuttle bay airlock. A few seconds later, two security guards round the corner with Harry Mudd in tow. Harry, just in time. You're looking good for a dead man. Well, that was a waste of a perfectly good and rather expensive android, Kirk. I am relieved, though, that you intended to sacrifice the android and not me. I did have a few seconds of indecision. But, yes, regretfully, giving up the android made more sense. In fact, without that fat sacrificial lamb, the Romulans and Klingons probably never would have let us out of the system alive. Well, Kirk, it seems things turned out all right after all, eh? <laughs> That's a matter of opinion, Harry. If I had a high yard arm on this ship, you'd be hanging from it. Well, you must admit, I, I did play a pivotal role in preventing an all-out war. <laughs> I must admit, nothing. You play a pivotal role in many tricky situations, it seems. Captain. I was able to download the operational records from Mr. Mudd's cloaking device while reprogramming it. Mr. Mudd's upgrades of cloaking technology on both sides of the Klingon-Romulan conflict actually maintained the balance of power during the past year. Are you trying to tell me that Mudd's meddling actually delayed the outbreak of hostilities? 
It would appear so, Captain. Well, there you are. Can't argue with Vulcan logic now, can you, Jamie, my boy? <laughs> Hangar Bay pressurized, sir. Prepare to receive Undersecretary Fenton and party. The airlock door opens to reveal Withrow and Stella Mudd, tall and thin with her familiar hairdo. Stella is recognizable from the last time we saw her, but she appears calm and measured as she eyes Mud. Stella? Hello, Harry. Captain Kirk, I'm Stella Fenton, Federation Undersecretary for Neutral Zone Affairs in this sector. Federation Undersecretary. I understand congratulations are in order. We're very pleased with the way you handled a very dangerous situation. Complicated by Harcourt, I'm sure. Fascinating. My department has been monitoring Harcourt Mudd's activities for the past several years. He tends to disappear off the map from time to time, of course. Excuse me, ma'am. We were led to understand that you were once married to Mr. Mudd. Yes. Our marriage wasn't able to withstand our very different career paths and temperaments. I'm not sure Mr. Mudd's earlier descriptions of you did you justice. He tends towards exaggeration. You'll be happy to know I'll be taking personal responsibility for your rehabilitation this time, Harcourt. Kirk, please. <laughs> He's all yours, man. <laughs> I'll get you for this. <laughs> Mudd and Stella retreat into the shuttle bay with the security guard escort. Incidents between the Romulans and Klingons have dropped sharply in the past few days. Without usable cloaking technology, both sides will have to rethink their strategies of confrontation for the foreseeable future. And how long is that? I would think at least six to eight months would be required to refit both fleets back to their standard cloaking equipment, perhaps longer. Yeah, what made you so sure the Romulans and Klingons would stop short of engaging their fleets once they were decloaked? Seems like exactly the sort of confrontation the Klingons and Romulans would love to get into. Well, the Romulans and the Klingons are both warrior cultures, but they're also people. A battle on that scale would have crippled both empires, killed thousands. A successful warrior also knows when not to fight. Boy seems lost in thought and Kirk notices. Bones? Well, I can't have wondering. Do you really have any idea just how many android muds were made and how many cloaking devices? Couldn't there still be other muds hiding away in the ship? Kirk levels a silent, withering look at McCoy. McCoy closes his eyes and nods a tacit admission of guilt. Well, if there are any more, we'll just have to do our best not to get stuck again and be thankful that there is only one Original, Harry Mudd. Fade out. Okay, so cool. Well, wow, that show. was fantastic. That was everything I hoped it would be, and more. <laughs> and more. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, thank you, Darren, and thank you to all, everyone who participated in this wonderful stage reading. Um, and of course, Jeff Bond for, for writing it. And I would have to say, and thank you to James Cauley for uh, allowing you to yep. um, perform it today on the show. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. And uh, he was uh, very enthusiastic about it. So I hope he enjoys it too. Fantastic. Well, uh, congratulations. 
Now you can go to the after party. And uh, <laughs> many such journeys are possible. And uh, but until then, uh, we hope you'll join us for an all new episode of Inglorious Trexperts every Friday now at 10 uh, Eastern Standard Time and enjoy our other podcasts uh, like The Best Movies Never Made, Rebel and the Rogue and um, the 430 movie. But until then, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.